This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. A'udhu billahi minashaytanir rajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim وَلَقَدْ زَيَّنَّا السَّمَاءَ الدُّنْيَا بِمَصَابِيحِ بِمَصَابِيحَ وَجَعَلْنَاهَا رُجُومًا لِلشَّيَاطِينِ وَأَعْتَدْنَا لَهُمْ عَذَابَ السَّعِيرِ وَلِلَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا بِرَبِّهِمْ عَذَابُ جَهَنَّمَ وَبِئْسَ الْمَصِيرِ إذا ألقوا فيها سمعوا لها شهيقا سمعوا لها شهيقا وهي تفور تكاد تميز من الغيظ كلما ألقي فيها فوج سألهم سألهم خزنتها ألم يأتكم نذير قالوا بلى قد جاءنا نذير فكذبنا وقلنا ما نزل الله من شيء إن أنتم إلا في ضلال كبير وقالوا لو كنا نسمع أو نعقل ما كنا ما كنا في أصحاب السعيد فَاعْتَرَفُوا بِذَنبِهِمْ فَسُحْقًا لِّأَصْحَابِ السَّعِيرِ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ وَالصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ عَلَى سَيِّدِ الْمُرْسَلِينَ وَعَلَى آلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ وَمَن تَبِعَهُم بِإِحْسَانٍ إِلَى يَوْمِ الدِّينِ وَبَعْدَ شَاءَ اللَّهُ ذِس إِز آوَر سَكَنْد سَشَن هِير فَور سُورَةُ الْمُلْكِ and uh, we will be studying, we'll be starting, inshallah, from ayah number five. And uh, we will try our best to, inshallah, uh, complete ayah number 11 today, inshallah. Previously, in our first session, we had the introduction to Surah Al-Mulk and Justabarak in, uh, in general. And we also studied the first four ayats of Surah Al-Mulk. I wanted to briefly recap... Um, you know, some of what we discussed uh, just to kind of refresh everyone's memory and um, to kind of reset the stage as to what we'll inshallah be discussing today. The first thing is that I explained last time how according to scholars who specialize in the area of the thematic study of the Qur'an, they tell us about the thematic divisions within the Qur'an, there are, there are certain thematic portions of surahs or collections of surahs, groups of surahs throughout the Qur'an. And Justabarak, Surah Al-Mulk, is the beginning of the final portion of the Qur'an from a thematical perspective, from a thematic perspective. The second thing is that this is very, very early revelation. So even though it's at the end of the Qur'an in terms of the organization of the Mus'haf, However, it is still from the early days of the revelation of the Qur'an. Some of the key concepts, some of the, some of the key things that are covered within this, uh, this final portion here, Juz-Tabarak and Juz-Amma, Surah Al-Mulk to Surah Al-Nas, um, is the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
and that is of course taught through what I like to call uh, elementary Iman, Iman 101. And it's a very basic form of Iman education, and that is that people are asked to look around themselves, observe all the beauty and the magnificence of Allah's creation all around them, and let that lead them directly to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the realization that there is a divine power and a divine being, and how He is the only one who is worthy of our veneration and devotion, dedication and worship. Um, these surahs, or rather this portion of the Qur'an, also focuses on the akhirah, the life of the hereafter, the fact that there is a life after death, and that of course deals with consequences of people's deeds and actions. So this, the, these surahs focus heavily on reminding the human being that, listen, you're making choices right now in the life of this world, but there are consequences to the choices that you are making. This portion of the Qur'an also focuses on talking about the Day of Judgment. And that is in, in, in turn talking about accountability. And so accountability is a very prominent theme. And um, it's sometimes just alluded to, it's very briefly referenced. But there are certain surahs, certain portions of just Tabarak that we're going to, inshallah, eventually get to in our study. And um, that very vividly and graphically and very powerfully they talk about the concept of accountability and how you reap what you sow, you're making choices in this world and you'll have to deal and face those choices in the life of the hereafter. And, you know, this was... This was part of what was so troubling to the Mushrikeen of Mecca, and this is why this is part of early revelation, because it's dispelling, or rather it's dealing with some very basic level um, issues that the Mushrikeen of Mecca had towards the message of the Prophet ﷺ and what the Qur'an was addressing. And the Mushrikeen of Mecca, we all know, had a big problem with this talk of resurrection, life after death. And the real reason behind that was accountability. That troubled them, bothered them. They did not want to deal with the pressure and the responsibility of being held accountable because as they saw it, death wasn't was a way out. It was the it was filing for bankruptcy. It was basically cleaning your debts. It, you were just completely done. So you lived life, you did what you needed to, you did whatever you felt like doing, and once you died, that's it, you became nothingness. You you just ceased to exist and you were done with it. But now the Qur'an comes along, the Prophet ﷺ comes along and says, No, 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 it doesn't work that way. Rather, when you die, you go to the afterlife. There's a life after death. And there you'll have to answer and you'll be held accountable for everything you've done in this life. And that was very troubling. And they did not want to deal with that pressure. And so that was a very fundamental issue and problem that they had with the message of this early revelation of the Qur'an. Because, you know, it takes the comfort out of the sin. If you think about it, it takes the pleasure and the comfort out of the sin. Otherwise, the sinner knows, I'm going to be held accountable for this. I have to pay the price for what I'm doing right now. It 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 takes the, the temptation or the, the, the draw uh, of the sin, it takes it away to quite an extent. So this was something that they did not want to deal with. Another thing is that, you know, when we talk about da'wah, 
Of course, we know the ayat of the Quran: "Ud'ula sabil Rabbika bil hikma wal mawwadat al hasana." Dawa should always be done in a very compassionate and in a very wise and intelligent manner, and we are advised to focus on inviting people using positive talk and positive methods um, before ever resorting to any form of negativity or um, or or talking about consequences, but rather first trying to motivate them and inspire them to do what's right and to come up to a higher standard. However, when we read these surahs, as we're going to, inshallah, read even today, the tone is very strong here. And remember, this is early revelation. So the tone is very strong in early revelation. Now that begs a question that I thought we just said that Dawah should be very kind and soft to begin with and to to be, to be easier for people to accept and make some very difficult choices. But here we see that the tone is very strong. So this is the issue that is called indhar. The Prophet ﷺ in the beginning of his da'wah, he was told, وَرَبَّكَ فَكَبِّرُ He was told, قُمْ فَأَنذِرْ He was told, stand up and warn. Warn the people. Go warn the closest of your uh, family members or tribes members, tribe members. And so this is the issue of indhar. Indhar means to warn. What it precisely means is to warn someone out of sincere concern for them of some, of some danger or something that is of a real danger to them. So to warn someone because you care for them and you're warning them about something that is of real danger to them. And, you know, in Surah Yasin, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet that you have been sent to warn a people and their forefathers had not been warned. So because of that, as a consequence of that, these people come from generation after generation after generation of people who have not been introduced to Iman and those people have lived a life that is devoid of any idea, any concept, any um, concern for accountability and the choices that they are making. So that's why you will find these people to be very heedless and to be completely detached from this reality of life and reality of the hereafter. And so therefore, these people need a very serious wake-up call. Because these people are very deeply asleep. They're completely disconnected. You know, when you're sleeping really deep or if you're a deep sleeper, then the alarm in your phone after a certain point or the alarm in your watch, it, does, it, it doesn't even do anything. The alarm clock, the alarm that you set in your phone doesn't work anymore. Uh, you get the little digital clock that beeps and, you know, that didn't do much for you either. So you realize, okay, you're the kind of person that needs to buy that old school alarm clock that's got two bells on top of it and that rings so loud that, you know, it wakes up the neighbors. Um, and so you need that type of an alarm clock because of how deep your sleep is and how, you know, knocked out you are when you're sleeping. Similarly, these people were completely detached. These people were completely asleep spiritually speaking so they needed the alarm clock they needed a loud sound they needed something that would snap them 
uh, and bring snap them awake and bring them to reality. And that's why the tone of these surahs will be very, very strong. It's the indar, it's the warning, it's the strong tone, and the purpose of it is to wake them up, not to scare them, not to scare them off or scare them away, but to wake them up because of their situation and the culture, the system, the climate that they have been raised in. Because of that, they need the alarm clock with the two bells on top. So, this is a little bit of an introduction to the theme and the layout of what we'll be studying. Now, the next thing is that... The next thing that, inshallah, we're going to talk about is every week when we start off here, inshallah, we're going to do a little bit of a recap. We're going to have a small little recap. The reason for that, I'll explain as well, is that, you know, when you study the small surahs from Juzamma, those are usually done in one session or two sessions at the most. Um, these are longer surahs, and as we go forward, the surahs are going to continue to get longer and longer. And what happens in that situation is that more time will pass between the beginning and the end of the surah. We'll have five or six sessions possibly um, for even these surahs and just Tabarak. And so what occurs as a result of that is, you know, the message gets separated and segmented. Now, one thing that is very interesting is that, you know, at some level we are studying ayat. We're studying individual ayahs and trying to understand them and unlock the the meaning and the beauty and the lessons therein, the wisdom in these ayat. The next level of the study of the Quran is to study passages and how ayat come together to create, you know, beautiful passages that are full of lessons and that teach us so many more um, lessons and contain so many more, so much more wisdom. And then the next level of the study of the Qur'an is to study the in surah in its entirety. How from beginning to end, it's a very conclusive discussion on a particular issue or topic or theme. And then of course, beyond that, you have then even the inter-surah relationship. That how surahs are related to one another and how there is a beautiful transition from surah to surah. And it's very once again conclusively developing a concept, an idea, a theme and delivering it to humanity. So inshallah the purpose of the recap will be to show you the continuity and the flow of the surah inshallah. So last week we talked about ayah number one, And of course in this, this is the introduction to Allah, that not only is He the one who is in control, who is the king, um, who owns everything, but at the same time, He's not an owner or a king that does not have full control and power uh, and capability over His possession. Rather, He is fully capable, fully in control, along with being the owner and the 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 sole owner of everything he is completely in control of everything ayah number 2 alladhi khalaqal mawta wal hayata liyabluwakum ayyukum ahsanu amala wa huwal azizul ghafur ayah number 2 demonstrates something very beautiful to us something very profound and that is that when when we say that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala owns everything that doesn't that, that literally means that he owns everything so there are certain intangibles certain things that we don't consider um, that can be owned by someone or be in the, uh, under the control of someone, such as lifelessness and life, like we talked about that last time. You could call it life and death, but the more appropriate uh, 
you know, translation here in the surah is lifelessness and life. And that something as intangible as that, conditions, phases, state of minds, different situations that we experience, all of these are also under the control and the ownership of Allah. Now the next thing is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifically mentions lifelessness and life, death and life. Why? What's the purpose? Why has Allah created this system? As a test for humanity. But not just a test, also to drive and motivate us. Because the human being, as I mentioned last time, is a competitive, naturally competitive creature. And that's manifest all around us. It doesn't really need an explanation. I mean, you just have to look around you from sports to materialistic things in the workplace. Um, we're, we're very competitive. We, we, we seek uh, competition. We, we crave competition. So the surah... Um, ayah number two actually tells us that the purpose of this creation of the system of life and death is to drive us in this competitive uh, spirit that we have. That which amongst us will be the most, who amongst us will be the most excellent in his actions and deeds. So it's teaching us to properly channel our energy towards doing good deeds, things that are pleasing to Allah. The next thing it also emphasizes, as Ayah teaches us, is the, our, the, the concept of quality versus quantity. That without quality, quantity is useless. Quantity is only and only desirable in a situation where quality has already been established. Otherwise, quantity is pointless. It is all about the quality. That is the first and foremost thing. And that's why Allah says, لِيَبْلُوَكُمْ أَيُّكُمْ أَحْسَنْ وَعَمَلًا Not أَكْثَرْ وَعَمَلًا Not who has more deeds or more actions, but rather the one who has the most, the better action, the more excellent action. Ayah number three then tells us, الَّذِي خَلَقَ سَبْعَ سَمَاوَاتٍ طِبَاقًا مَا تَرَى فِي خَلْقِ الرَّحْمَنِ مِنْ تَفَاوَتٍ فَرْجِعِ الْبَصَرَ هَلْ تَرَى مِنْ that ayah number three tells us that after reflecting inwards in ayah number two, who does the better deeds? Now it's teaching us to reflect outwards, to look at that which is around us. So we begin by looking at the sky. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us to appreciate the consistency of the sky. You know, last week I was actually in uh, Southern California. And so some of the hosts there, the brothers that had invited me for the program and the lecture there, they took me to the Griffith Observatory in Southern California. And it was fascinating. Um, you know, it's an opportunity to study a lot of, you know, uh, what's out there in outer space and the solar system and the galaxies. And they had these exhibits and they had these um, very smoothly moving um, exhibits or small scale models, if you will. And it, the, the, a point of uh, of this one very elaborate display that they had was to show how everything is moving precisely and there's consistency in regards to that and that if something was to move just a little bit just a little bit off of course it would basically bring the entire system crashing down and then subhanallah I had been reading the surah and you know looking up the tafsir of, the, of these ayats and it hit me like a ton of bricks that subhanallah that is the consistency that Allah is talking about here tibaqan 
Now, one other thing before we go there is that Allah there's a point of reflection here as well that just like we observe the different stages of the sky, the different levels, the different levels of the sky, where it's telling us to reflect on the different stages of life as well, how you went from being conceived to being born, giving birth to, and went from a helpless um, infant to a toddler and child and young man and or young woman and you eventually reach adulthood had a family of your own and a person grows old and eventually dies so all these phases of life it's just no it's no different than all the different stages that we see the sky in as well and the interesting thing we saw there is first Allah is addressing us in the plural here now he addresses us when talking about reflection he addresses us in the singular because reflection is a singular exercise it's something we need to learn to do by ourselves and this is part of that connection to Allah that we're supposed to experience and we're supposed to build Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when telling us to reflect says basar uses the word basar and the word basar in the Arabic language isn't just to look at something but it's to look at something and then contemplate it and reflect on it and then finally ayah number 4 thumma in the Arabic language basically means and then again and again uh, it, it basically says after some time so thumma in the Arabic language literachi means after some time. Thumma rajeel basara karratain. Now karratain means again and again, over and over. So what this what this word itself is telling us, what this ayah is teaching us is reflection needs to be a regular exercise of the believer. And also the word karratain also has a meaning of consistency built into it, that it needs to be with the same uh Consistency. There needs to be the maintaining of focus and concentration and commitment to this reflection, regular reflection that we have. And if a person is able to have this level of discipline and be regular and responsible in regards to this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Yan qalib ilayk al-basar, that yan qalib. Yan qalib doesn't mean for something to just return. It means for something to turn around and go in a different direction. Meaning that your reflection will return back to you, will turn around with a different conclusion. Basically, you'll come out of this better than you went in, into this process of reflection. يَنْقَلِبِ لَيْكَ الْبَصَرِ Your contemplation, reflection will return back to you. خَاسِئًا And we talked about خَاسِئًا, the best way to describe it, you'll know your place. You'll know your place in this greater system. And وَهُوَ حَسِيرٌ and basically you'll be fatigued and exhausted, overwhelmed by what you've just understood, what you've realized, and what you've experienced. Now inshallah we're going to get into ayah number 5. In ayah number 5, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَقَدْ زَيَّنَّا السَّمَاءَ الدُّنْيَا بِمَصَابِيحَ وَجَعَلْنَاهَا رُجُومًا لِلشَّيَاطِينَ وَأَعْتَذَنَا لَهُمْ عَذَابَ السَّعِيرِ now real quickly, ayah number 5 is originally, um, it's, it better fits with the first four ayat. And I had originally um, intended to discuss ayah number 5 last week, but we were short on time, so we weren't able to. Now Allah says, after He's told us to look up at the sky and seven layer, you know, seven samawat, the seven heavens, the seven skies. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us to reflect, to look, to ponder. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now tells us, calls our attention to as-sama' ad-dunya. 
the sky of this world, the sky that we see, because actual for actual reflection and to be able to look for it to be practical, the practicality of the matter is that we can only see the sky that is right there in front of us, above us, and so that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about now, and that is what he is addressing, so there's a switch that has just occurred here. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَقَدْ وَلَقَدْ There's two, level of emphasis, two levels of emphasis here, لَقَدْ Now Allah says, زَيَّنَّا We have beautified. السَّمَاءَ dunya, The sky of this world. Now the word dunya refers to something that is either near or something that is lower. So both the sky of this world is near to us and it's also lower so both of these words uh, the the word and both of its implications apply here bimasabiha with lanterns so allah is saying here that most definitely no doubt we have beautified we have adorned tazyeen from zina to make something beautiful to make it attractive and appealing to adorn something we have adorned the sky of this world using lanterns now one thing I want to point out here is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Zayyanna, we have. So there's two issues here. The first issue is that this is the, Allah is speaking in the plural. He's saying we have adorned. So this is a very basic issue. Most people might be aware of this. Nevertheless, I feel like I should clarify just in case someone's listening. But someone could have the question, why is Allah speaking in a plural? Well, this is what we call the majestic plural or the royal we. And this is an established part of the Arabic language. This is, was present even in pre-Islamic Arabic poetry and literature. And this is even found in other languages as well. That when a higher authority speaks to, his, to, to the subordinates and the people under his control, then that higher authority speaks in this majestic plural or the royal we. And it addresses them. Uh, addresses himself, the power, in the plural. So this is a very established part of language, and this especially occurs when some blessings are being recounted to those individuals, to those people. So this is called iltifat, uh, or rather, this is the majestic we in the royal plural. The second issue here that we have is that if you look at the first few ayat, the first four, Allah is talking about himself. He created so Allah is speaking about Himself, which is third person. Here He says, Zayanna, we have. So this is first person. So basically, there's a transition that has occurred from third person to first person. Now, how do we reconcile that? How do we figure that out? Because a lot of Orientalist, Western academics, um, they have basically picked on this issue that the Qur'an is incons inconsistent and that it switches between these tenses. It goes from third person to first person to second person and that this is an inconsistency within the Qur'an. So the answer to this is that this is actually an established part of Arabic literature once again. It's a literary feature of the language called al-iltifat. It's called transitioning. And... The purpose of this transition is to highlight something. To highlight something. And this is particularly insightful when we understand that Arabic is a primarily a spoken language and not a written language. Especially in the early days when this revelation is coming down. It is predominantly a spoken language and not a written language. So 
The purpose of a highlight is like, for instance, when you're typing up an email and all of a sudden you bold a couple of words because you want to call. So when, you, when you're saying that the tafsir is after Salat al-Maghrib, so after Maghrib prayer, you highlight those words because you want to call the reader's attention to it, the people who are going to receive this email. But in a spoken language, you can't physically, literally on paper, highlight something. So how do you go about highlighting it? So it's created a system, the Arabic language, the ancient uh, form of the language, has a system um, that is already incorporated that basically highlights a word so that even when it's spoken, there's a highlight there. So you realize the reader, the listener, the one who is aware and conscious of what is being said, obviously sees or hears the fact that we just went from third person to first person. There must be something that needs to be highlighted here and we need to understand and pay attention. And what that basically is, what the purpose of the highlight is, throughout the Quran, whenever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about beautifying the sky and adorning the heavens, He always switches to the first person. In Surah Fussilat, Allah says, is talking about Himself, basically he completed them into seven skies in two days and he um, divinely inspired each sky its role and its purpose and what it was supposed to do and then we adorned or beautified the sky of this world using lanterns and for the purposes of protection so once again, you see when Allah is talking about creating the seven heavens and he's talking about giving each heaven or each sky its role, it's third person. But then when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala transitions to talking about beautifying the sky, he transitions to first person. Similarly, in uh, Surah Safat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in ayah number six, he says, Inna ilahakum lawahid, most definitely your Lord, your master, the one that is worthy of your veneration and worship, lawahid, he is one, he is singular. Rabbu samawati wal ard wa ma bainahuma wa rabbul mashariq, he is the master of the heavens and the earth and all that which is between them, wa rabbul mashariq, and the master of all the different directions, the east and the west. And we have beautified the sky. The sky of this world. By the beauty of the stars. So once again, when Allah is talking about being the Lord and the one worthy of worship and being the master and the creator of the heavens and the earth, and all that which is between them, he's speaking in third person. As soon as he talks about beautifying the sky that is closest to us, he once again does it in the first person. So this is the reason why the highlight exists and the highlight is there. Because this is where we're supposed to be focused and we're supposed to be appreciating this great uh, blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another reason for the highlight that the scholars point out is the sky is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taught us, presented to us a very systematic form of reflecting upon and realizing its beauty and its magnificence and letting it basically take us and reconnect us to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. First Allah says, أَفَلَا يَنظُرُونَ إِلَى السَّمَاءِ كَيْفَ رُفِعَتْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, don't you see how the sky has been raised above your heads? So you look up at the sky. Then Allah tells us, وَجَعَلْنَا السَّمَاءَ سَقَفًا مَحْفُوظًا And guess what? He's create, Allah says, we've created the sky, سَقَفًا مَحْفُوظًا As a protective ceiling over your head. And when you start thinking about a ceiling, 
obviously one thing that you look at or one thing that you look for is the walls or the pillars that are holding up the ceiling and that's where Allah tells us that basically He has raised the sky above our heads without any pillars that you can see. So the sky is something to be appreciated and is a true uh, manifestation of the greatness and the power and the magnitude of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His ability as a creator. So now here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَقَدْ زَيَّنَّ بِمَصَابِيحَ So we have adorned or we have beautified the sky using lanterns, masabih. This is the plural of the word misbah. It comes from the root of the word subh. And Ibn al-Faris from amongst the more classical uh, linguist, he says that the word misbah, subh, the root of this word, fihi al-humra, it has the implication of something being red. And that's why in the morning time you see after sunrise that basically the sky is red. And so even a lantern, because there's a fire burning inside it, a small flame, it's more, it has a redness to it. Bimasabiha waja'alnaha rujum al now after we look up at the sky and we appreciate it and we look at its beauty and magnificence, the next thing is Allah tells us, وَجَعَلْنَهَا رُجُومًا لِلشَّيَاطِينَ And we have made it. Now this ha, this it, this dhamir, this pronoun could either be talking about the lanterns, that we have made these lanterns up in the sky. And of course, I, I didn't explain this, but when we talk about masabih, the lanterns in the sky, this is of course referring to the stars. And the, diff- the the other celestial bodies that we see up in the sky. You know, uh, when I was at the observatory last week, something very fascinating and interesting was they had these really super powerful uh, telescopes set up outside for the visitors to be able to look through. And because Saturn was visible. And so they had all these telescopes pointed at Saturn and we lined up and we were able to take a look inside. And subhanAllah, uh, one thing that was very funny was one of my friends who was in line ahead of me when he looked through the telescope and he looked away the other way. He looked in the telescope and when he stood back up again, he said that it looks like it's supposed to. And I, and uh, that made that made all of us laugh. And I was like, I asked him, what do you mean it looks like it's supposed to? So he said, no, you know, how you see it in textbooks and how it's drawn uh, and how we've seen it in maybe movies or whatever it is or on television, you know, based on the imagination of people. But it literally looks just like that. And when I when I got my turn to look through the telescope, subhanAllah, I was amazed. You know, the rings of Saturn is what is one thing everybody knows about Saturn and is very fascinating. SubhanAllah, those rings were so visible and they were so... Uh, vivid and colorful and literally you could see the layers of the rings you could see the different color variations of the rings and subhanAllah it was extremely beautiful and that's when I realized what he was talking about that it was just so um, beautiful and vivid and colorful just like we've grown to appreciate it and we see it painted in walls or drawn in textbooks or CGI you know created in, in, a, in a movie or on television and it literally is 
not just as beautiful but even more beautiful the actual uh, witnessing of this this creation of Allah so now Allah says that وَجَعَلْنَا we made it so this it could be referring to these stars uh, the, and these masabih these lanterns in the sky and of course some of the scholars some of the mufassilun are of the opinion this could be talking about the sky itself And grammatically speaking, that would be acceptable because the sky, um, sama in the Arabic language, is a fe- it's a feminine word. And so this could also be talking about that wajalnaha. So now it's referring to the makan, the place that we basically we've made it, the sky, a place. Rujum and lishayatin. Rujum in the Arabic language comes from rajam. Rajam basically means to throw uh, rocks or to cast aside, to toss away. And it has a very negative connotation to it. That's why shaitan is called rajim. A shaitan rajim. And that's what I explained often to people is rajim also has the implication of something just sort of being tossed aside. It's not like t- throwing a ball or with some aim or some purpose. It's just when you sort of just throw some trash um, away. That is rajim as well. So rujum basically means a means. That which is thrown. The Rujum refers to those things that are being thrown. Lishayateen. That these are these are things that are thrown at the shayateen. What this is referring to is a very basic um, you know a learning and a, a very basic teaching within the Quran, something that we learn from the Quran, and that is that before the you know the Prophet time the shayateen would sneak and eavesdrop basically on the malaika and the heavens. And they would bring this news back that they had heard. So basically, angels being given the responsibility that such person needs, will get sick or that person will get a new job. And the shayateen would rush back down with this information and they would offer it up to people. And these were fortune tellers or soothsayers and people would come to them and this is how they would create problems and basically distort the belief system of people. And so... When the Prophet ﷺ's time came, then this practice was discontinued. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala appointed angels and they would literally throw like fireballs at the shayateen that would gather up there. And this is referred to in the Quran And so this was a way to repel the shayateen and protect and keep safe the message of the Prophet ﷺ and the ummah of the Prophet ﷺ. So this is what this could be referring to, that these stars in the sky, you know, because, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says we've beautified the sky using the stars. And you know, when you beautify something in your house, you put a painting on the wall, sure it looks pretty, it looks nice, it's fantastic, but what practical purpose does it serve? Not much. And then when you put some hooks on a wall, so you can hang things on it, it's a very practical thing to do. But from a beauty or beautification um, you know decorating perspective it's not the most desirable thing to have on your wall it's a bit of an eyesore so but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's ability and power as a creator is much much beyond ours and beyond our scope and this is what Allah is demonstrating to us Allah is so perfect of a creator he not only created these stars as a means to beautify the sky but at the same time 
they have a very practical purpose that they serve and that they are a means by which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes out the shayateen and does not allow them to eavesdrop and listen on the conversation of the angels and then go back and confuse and harass the people. Another possible interpretation of the word ujum al is that rajam in the Arabic language, like in Surah Al-Kahf, rajam bil ghaib, refers to conjecture, refers to um, coming to conclusions kind of not based on anything, just taking random shots in the dark, taking random guesses, making random guesses. So, rujum al it becomes an opportunity, a place, a time, a situation where the shayateen can start to engage people into this behavior of confusion and superstition and shirk and just making random uh, guesses about things, uneducated you know, conclusions, coming to uneducated conclusions about different things. And so, and, and for this we know that there are two types of shayateen, shayateen al-jinn, which we talked about before, and shayateen al-ins. Some people, they just, this is how they make trouble. And they make trouble in their communities or their families. So this could also be a possible meaning of the word رُجُومَ al-shayateen, That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put these beautified the sky with these lanterns, these lamps. And made them a means of repelling the shayateen or made them a means of further testing further testing the people by making, give, creating in the sky and by means of the stars an opportunity for people, certain people who are committed to confusing people and ruining their iman and ruining their beliefs, that this becomes an opportunity for them to practice this shirk and um, confuse people about what they should believe in and what they should not believe in. So this is one also possible interpretation of this. And Qatada rahimahullah finally says, خَلَقَ اللَّهُ هَذِي نُجُومَ لِثَلَاثٍ That basically Allah has created these stars for three main purposes. The first one is زِينَةٌ لِلسَّمَاءِ That is a means to beautify the sky. The second is رُجُومَ لِلشَّيَاطِينَ And that this is a means by which the shayateen are repelled. And then thirdly and finally, عَلَامَاتٌ oh, That these are signs that the traveler can use to guide himself on his journey and that the stars have always classically, traditionally been a, been a means of finding one's direction when one is out there in the open, especially at night. He can look up at the sky, find the North Star, figure out his direction and know which direction that he needs to go to that he should be going in. So this is some basic... Uh, these are some basic things that come from this. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَقَدْ زَيَّنَّا السَّمَاءَ الدُّنْيَا بِمَصَابِيحَ وَجَعَلْنَاهَا رُجُومَ لِلشَّيَاطِينَ وَأَعْتَدْنَا لَهُمْ عَذَابَ السَّعِيرِ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأَعْتَدْنَا لَهُمْ And we have prepared for them, these shayateen, these people who have either the people or the jinn that have committed themselves to confusing people and creating a problem between people. So Allah says, أَعْتَدْنَا لَهُمْ that we have prepared for them. Adab as Now the word adab means punishment, but it's a very interesting word from a um, linguistic perspective. Because there's two the the word adab comes from the root of the word adbun, which means for something to be very sweet. But adab means punishment. So the explanation is one of two things. The first thing is that the word adab is from that 
group of words that sometimes a derivative takes on the opposite meaning of the root of the word. So even though the root meant something very sweet, Ada means punishment or punished. Um, the other possible explanation is that sometimes a derivative of a root word, basic word, spins off into its own meaning. And that is also a possible explanation here as well, that the word adab has just sort of taken on a meaning of itself and it's become its own word. Sa'id comes from si'ar, which basically refers to a fire that is blazing or flaming. So a fire that is blazing or flaming. That's why a solar flare comes from the same root of the word as well because of the fire that shoots out of there. Even Seyarul Ta'am, what's also very interesting is that the price of food, the word for that also comes from this same root because Yartafi'u because the price of food continues to go up and up higher and higher, just like that flame keeps increasing. So that's the connection between the meaning of the word and subhanAllah. It's very interesting, very profound. Now so Asa'id doesn't mean just any fire, it means a fire that is flaming and blazing. A blazing flaming fire. And that is the meaning of the word Asa'id. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that this is the punishment for the shayateen. But what's a possible objection here is that the shayateen are made from fire. So how is fire being punished with fire? How does that work? Doesn't it just further feed the fire? So that's where, you know, that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not say, وَعَتَدْنَا لَهُمْ عَذَابُ جَهَنَّمُ وَعَذَابُ النَّارِ He said, As-Sa'id Because it's a more exaggerated form of the word. He's going in. It's this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't say Adabu Nar or Adabu Jahannam, he's saying Adab Sa'id because it's a more powerful word. That is not just any fire, not just any punishment, but a flaming, blazing fire that they will be tormented and they'll they'll be punished within. And this is part of the answer for this is the answer for that objection that I presented as well. Because like there's a saying in Arabic, that the only thing that cuts iron is iron. So a lot of times, the thing that can overcome it is something that is more stronger and more powerful than it. So even though the shayateen that are jinn might be created from fire, but this is talking about a greater fire, a more stronger fire. And this is the beauty of the Qur'an as well, that whenever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about punishing the jinn throughout the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the word sa'id because it's a greater fire, a fire, and a greater fire will therefore cause them that pain and that torment and that torture, which is the purpose of putting them there. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Sabah says, وَمَنْ يَزِغْ مِنْهُمْ عَنْ أَمْرِنَا نُذِقُهُ مِنْ عَذَابِ السَّعِيدِ Surah Fatir, ayah number 6, Allah says, إِنَّمَا يَدْعُوا حِزْبَهُ The shaitan basically calls his group of people لِيَكُونُ مِنْ أَصْحَابِ السَّعِيدِ So that they may eventually become one day from the group of people, from the companions of us, of As-Sa'id, that blazing, flaming fire, which is in, which is in hell, the hellfire. Now, from ayah number 6, the first five ayahs I mentioned were talking about the introduction to Allah, the purpose of this life. The next nine ayat talk about not the choice. Remember, there was a choice presented to us in ayah number 2. So, based on the choice that the person has made, ayah number 6 through 9 
um, will now folk, or rather, excuse me, the next nine ayats, the ayat, ayat 6 through 14, will now focus on the consequences of making that choice. The first six ayat will focus on the person who makes the wrong choice. And then there is one ayat that talks about the people who make the right choice. So once again, why is it throughout the Qur'an, even though we see the pattern is that it talks about the reward more than it talks about the punishment, the Qur'an typically speaking. And the Prophet ﷺ speaks more about the reward than the punishment. But why here are there six ayat about the people who mess up, make the wrong choice, and one ayah about the people who make the right choice? Remember, I told you that the tone of the surah is strong because this is the wake-up call. So that's why you have these type of um, unique uh, organization of ayat and thoughts and concepts here in the surah. Now, inshallah, we'll move into ayah number six. Now, here from ayah number six, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about this nefarious group of people who have made the wrong choice. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts this by saying, وَلِلَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا بِرَبِّهِمْ عَذَابُ جَهَنَّمَ وَبِئْسَ الْمَصِيرِ So after talking about the punishment that is going to be levied against these jinn, Allah now talks about the human being. And He says, وَلِلَّذِينَ And for the ones who, this is by the way, the, what's occurring here is, this, should, this is an attachment, وَلِلَّذِينَ And so this should be coming later on in normal sentence structure, but it occurs here, Prior, it occurs here in the beginning, so it's out of sequence. This is abnormal sentence structure, which in the Arabic, um, in literary terms, is called a taqdim taqid, forwarding and delaying the normal sentence structure, basically abnormal sentence structure. And the purpose of this is to show that this is an ex this is exclusively in regards to these people. Exclusivity is the key here, is the point here. So exclusively, وَلِلَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا Exclusively for the people who have disbelieved or were ungrateful. The word kufr in the Arabic language comes from the root of the word. The root of the word has the meaning or has the implication of hiding something. Kafara, to hide something. And that's why in classical Arabic, um, the farmer, the person on the farm who would have the responsibility of planting the seeds, sowing the seeds, that person would be called kafir. Now when you listen kafara and ghafara, do they sound a lot alike? Yes, they do. This is not a coincidence, by the way, subhanAllah. This is the beauty of the language. Ghafara also means to cover up something. But ghafara has a positive connotation to it. That's why it's used for forgiveness. Kafara has a negative connotation to it. And that's why it's used for ungratefulness. So kafara refers to being ungrateful because that person is hiding the blessing of Allah, not showing and admitting and speaking of the blessing of Allah, the obvious blessing of Allah in his life. But then it also further goes on to mean to disbelieve because now this person is burying his fitrah, his true inclination towards the worship and the obedience and the recognition of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these people have made the wrong choice and they have denied and refused to believe in some the most basic concepts of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and who he is and his attributes, his qudra, his power, his justice, his mercy, and the fact that he is our creator and master and sustainer. 
they've disbelieved and rejected all of these ideas. What have they disbelieved in or who were they ungrateful to? With their own master, their own Lord. Now Allah uses the word Rabb here and attributes Rabb to them, their Lord, their master. And this is very interesting, very beautiful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't say, وَلِلَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا بِاللَّهِ Rather He says, بِرَبِّهِمْ so first of all, the word Rabb is being used because the word Rabb makes you feel a sense of obligation to Allah. You know, when your mother tells you, take your, go give your brother a ride, go drop him off here, go do something for him. And you say, no, I don't want to do it, I don't want to go. And your mother says, you, you can't even do that for your own brother. Now she doesn't use your brother's name, she says your own brother to make you feel that sense of obligation. That this is my brother, I should take care of him, I should do this for him. Similarly here, the word Rabb is being used to make this person feel the sense of obligation. That he did this with, this is your Lord that you did this with. You're the one who created you and sustained you and provided you and protected you and guided you. The one who did everything for you, you did this with him. And not only is he just the Lord, you're their own Lord. He's your Lord. He did all of this for you. وَلِلَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا بِرَبِّهِمْ عَذَابُ جَهَنَّمْ We talked about the word عَذَاب for them is what is exclusively reserved for them عَذَابُ جَهَنَّمْ The punishment of Jahannam. Jahannam is the name of the hellfire itself. So the punishment of Jahannam. The, the punishment in the hellfire. وَبِئْسَ الْمَصِيرِ And this is the worst of places to end up. Al-Masir refers to where someone ends up. Where somebody ends up. So this is the worst place somebody could have ended up. And this was of course by their own choice and by their own doing. Ayah number 7, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala further elaborates on this. No, 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 we're not done. Remember this is the wake up call. So now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elaborates on this. إِذَا أُلْقُوا فِيهَا سَمِعُوا لَهَا شَهِيقًا وَهِيَ تَفُورٌ When... The word idha means when, not if, but when. So idha means it's not a question of if, it's just a question of when. So when they will be placed, ulqu, they will be placed, fiha, in it. And ilqa literally means to like put something in a jar, to place something there. So it's like being picked up and put inside of a jar, like you put a bug, like you know some kid would put a bug in a jar. So it shows humiliation and helplessness. إِذَا أُلْقُوا فِيهَا When they will be placed in it, meaning Jahannam. سَمِعُوا لَهَا They will hear for it, for Jahannam. Basically, they will hear that Jahannam itself will have a sound. And what will that sound be? شَهِيقًا شَهِيقًا means to inhale very heavily and to make a loud sound while inhaling. So it's a very fierce, a very animalistic like sound of like a big beast inhaling something and making a sound while it's inhaling. It shows it shows intensity and anger. It's almost like as if it's growling. And this is something that's addressed even in other places. In Surah Hud, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talking about Jahannam says Zafirun wa Shahiqun that hell will be exhaling and then inhaling. The fire of hell itself will be exhaling and inhaling like a beast. An angry, hungry beast that is sitting there growling at its prey and, and breathing very, very heavily. 
about to pounce and just completely devour its prey. And the connection here is even Surah Tukaf, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about that the day we will say to Jahannam, Halim Tala'ti, have you become full? Have you filled up? Well, how will hell respond? It'll, hell will respond by saying, Mazid. Is there any more? Is there any more? Bring it on. Give me more. So it's like this hungry beast. So I want you to imagine, this is the imagery of the Qur'an. So these people are standing there, standing before the hellfire. It's frightening as it is. And then the hellfire is literally growling at them, snorting and breathing heavy. And just like an animal ready to eat them and devour them. وَهِيَ tafur, And not only that, tafur comes from the comes from fawran it means it, the root of the word actually means to be very quick and fast and it refers to water that is that boils very very quickly so it's kind of like you preheat the stove and as soon as you put the water it immediately starts to boil up so immediately like that the hellfire not only will it be that intense but it will literally be over boiling with all of the intensity and the heat and the the, the torment that is within it, it will be as if it's just over boiling. It will be so intense that it will just, it's like water rising to the top and boiling over. In this way, this, the, 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 the heat and the torment and the intensity of the hellfire will literally be boiling over. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now further elaborates. Now see, even this elaboration is giving you a better and better picture of the frightening scene and the, the horror of Jahannam. And this is our wake-up call. Takadu min al Allah says about the fire that it's very close, that it would just completely explode. Tamayyas. Tamayyas in the Arabic language means when something explodes in such a way that all of its parts, they separate and they scatter around. So when something just completely blows to bits, like we say. So the hellfire is so intense, you know, like the last ayah said, it's like boiling over, that it's about to just completely explode and just blow to bits. Min al from just this, this anger. The word ghaid is even more stronger of a word than ghadab. Ghadab means anger. Ghaid is even more than that. It's literally like when you talk about your blood is boiling. So the hellfire is just so intense, so mean, that it's about to just completely explode. تَكَادُ تَمَيَّزُ مِنَ الْغَيْضِ كُلَّمَا أُلْقِيَ فِيهَا فَوْجٌ That each and every single time, a huge troop of people. And the word fawj is used here for a couple of reasons. First thing is that the word fawj is also used for like a contingent, like an army contingent. And so it refers to huge crowds of people. Secondly is that when they're marching together, they're very noticeable, they're visible. So same way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is basically saying that these will be huge crowds of people and they'll be lined up and they'll be visible. And you know, just like the army, the rows of the army are moved along very, very quickly. They have to keep moving along. These people will be moved along quickly, these new prisoners for the hellfire. Each and every single time a huge group of people like this are put into it. Guess what? The punishment and torment of the hellfire for these people who make this choice, it won't just be physical. There will be emotional torment as well. You know, sometimes when you mess up, you know, your mom or your dad told you don't do this and you did it and you messed up and you suffered because of it. That's bad. That sucks. But you know what's even worse than that? Is sometimes the I told you so. Didn't I tell you not to do that? 
Didn't I tell you that was bad for you? So that sometimes is even more painful than the failure that you've experienced itself. And so these people will be emotionally tortured as well. Sa'alam khazanatuha that the gatekeeper, the guardian, the gatekeeper of Jahannam will ask them, Alam ya'tikum nadir? Didn't somebody come to warn you and he'll call this person nadir? Somebody who's very invested into warning you and, and, and making sure that you didn't make uh, these these big blunders and these mistakes. Didn't somebody come to you and try to warn you about all of this? Of course, these people in their defeated state, they'll completely admit, they'll say, yes, no doubt, absolutely. Absolutely, we can't deny it. Most definitely a warner did come to us. Somebody who was warning us and cared about us did come to us. What did we do though? فَكَذَّبْنَا We rejected him. We refused him. We called him a liar. وَقُلْنَا And we said, مَا نَزَلَ اللَّهُ مِنْ شَيْءَ Allah has not sent down anything. إِنْ أَنْتُمْ إِلَّا فِي ضَلَالٍ كَبِيرٍ You people are just completely lost. Openly in grave error. And so, meaning you're just completely drowning in this foolishness, this error, this, this, these lies that you live. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then in the next ayah, He tells us that what is the level of the remorse that these people feel? وَقَالُوا They will say, they, 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 say, they have said, meaning they will say, لَوْ كُنَّا and one thing I should explain here is that because this whole passage started with this إِذَا So this is talking about the future. But it's using the past tense verb to talk about the future. قَالُوا The reason for that is is that even though this will all transpire in the future, by using the past tense verb, it shows the confirm the confirmed nature of these events, that these things will happen. They will come to pass. Have no doubts about it. وَقَالُوا They will say لَوْ كُنَّا نَسْمَعُ أَوْ نَعْقِلُ مَا كُنَّا فِي أَصْحَابِ السَّعِيرِ That if only لَوْ كُنَّا نَسْمَعُ If only we would have just, we would have just listened أَوْ نَعْقِلُ Or thought about it for a second مَا كُنَّا فِي أَصْحَابِ السَّعِيرِ Today we would not have been among In the middle of all of these companions These people who are in this blazing flaming fire of hell now let me explain a few things here. First of all, the language of the ayah. Allah says, وَقَالُوا لَوْ كُنَّا If we would have just listened. This is very interesting, the fact that... Uh, well, I'll talk about the word first. نَسْمَعُ أَوْ نَعْقِلُوا Let me explain the word aql before we get into, further into our discussion. The word aql in the Arabic language, the root of the word means to restrain or to restrict something. And that's why iqal is the rope that's used to tie up the camel. Ma'aqil often refers to a mountain, is for, like, a, like a fortress in the mountain. And so the word aqal itself means to restrain and to tie down something, to restrict something. And that's why the human mind, the brain is called aqal, the ability to think. And our intellect is called aqal because our intellect is supposed to restrict and restrain us. But if subhanAllah, if you look at it today, the aql, this intellect is becoming the cause and the reason behind people running wild and living life like animals. When this is the opposite, our intellect was supposed to restrict us and restrain us and keep us tied down and keep us, uh, keep us legit, keep us, keep us uh, within certain bounds and limits and, and boundaries. But today is the complete opposite. 
So they're saying If we have just listened Or thought pondered upon Now this is something that occurs time and time again in the Qur'an That the first thing they're saying is We would have just listened And you know because a lot of times the da'wah When we even read about the story of Nuh They wouldn't even listen to him they will put their fingers in their ears. Allah tells us in Surah Al-Anfal, um, Don't be like those people who um, they, they say, they say we've heard, but they haven't heard anything. They don't listen to anything. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in Surah Jathiyah, that Allah's pity is upon all those types of people who are just slanders and liars and sinful people. Yasma'u ayatillah, they hear the, the miraculous signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, tutla alayhi, being recited upon him, thumma yusayru mustakbiran. But he goes on walking arrogantly, just walks right by. As if he never even heard anything. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Give him the good news of a most tormenting and painful punishment. Um, and then the next level is, Let's say he listened a little bit and he kind of picked up something from our ayat, just even a little thing. Then does he think on it, ponder on it? No, he turns it into a big joke. Even in Surah Luqman, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, that basically when our ayat, our miraculous signs are recited upon him, he turns away arrogantly as if he didn't even hear it. And that's why in Surah Al-Zumar, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praises the people. فَبَشِّرْ ibad, Cause them the most obedient slaves of Allah. Give them good news. Who are these people? الَّذِينَ يَسْتَمِعُونَ الْقَوْلِ First of all, when the Qur'an is recited, they listen very attentively and very carefully. Then after they're done listening to it, what do they do? يَسْتَمِعُونَ الْقَوْلَ فَيَتَّبِعُونَ أَحْسَنًا Then they follow it to the best of their ability. They give that some thought. They, they apply their intellect and they figure it out. And they live it. They breathe it. These people will say, If you would have just listened. Some of them did listen a little bit, but what did they do after they listened it? In one ear, out the other, or they made it a joke, they made fun of it, they discredited it, they criticized it, they didn't care about it, they were apathetic towards it. Then we would have thought about it. We would have used our brains and used our intellect to think about it and to live it and, and let it manifest itself within our lives. We would not be right now among the companions of the blazing flaming fire of hell. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, typically when Allah talks about people being from a group of people, He says, min ashab, from the companions of such and such, or from the people of so and so, of such and such place. Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, fi, min means from, fi means in. Like inside of, in the middle of. So it's literally like it's saying, ma kunna, we would have not 
we would not have been fee among so it's showing you that not only will these people end up in the hellfire but they'll be in the company of other such wretched people so misery loves company and these people will have the worst of company the most miserable company not only that the scholars also explain the fact that the word fee is being used it shows as if they are there right now all of this conversation all of this uh, regret and remorse is being expressed by these people as they are standing there in the hellfire looking around them in this miserable horrible company that they find themselves in and then just basically finding uh, having pity on themselves and and regretting and rem uh, being remorseful about the decisions and the choices that they have made finally here in ayah number 11 Allah says fa'atarafu bi dhanbihim fasuhqa li ashab as-sa'ir fa'atarafu i'tiraf comes from the root of the word arafa which means to recognize something i'tiraf is used oftentimes when talking about the admission of guilt admitting something so these people are have admitted their guilt and it's in the past tense form, so they've accepted the fact that fa'atarafu, they've accepted the fact that they are criminals. Bidambihim, they've accepted their sin. What sin is this talking about? Of course, the sin that was mentioned in ayah number 6, وَلِلَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا بِرَبِّهِمْ The fact that they were ungrateful and disbelieved in their Lord and their Master, their Creator, their Provider, their Sustainer, their Maintainer, their Nourisher. They disbelieved in Him, they were ungrateful to Him. That's the ultimate sin. And the word them in the Arabic language is an interesting word itself that it comes from the root of the same root of the word thanab, which means tail. What's the connection there? The fact is that, you know, when you see a cat and a mouse running, what's following it everywhere it goes? Its tail, exactly. Its tail follows it wherever it goes. So what the sin of the person is like his tail. Because see, the mindset, the psychology of the sinner is he creates his comfort zone for himself where he commits a sin and then he goes away, he goes somewhere else. And he thinks, he creates this this delusion for himself that he has left his sin behind. His sin is no longer with him. And so it creates this level of comfort for the sinner. But the word reminds us of the simple fact, once you commit a sin and you go forward from there, it's like your tail. It follows you wherever you go. It's with you. And what's the only way to get rid of the tail of the animal? To cut it off. Similarly, this sinner has to cut off his sin. And what is the way to cut it off? That is toba, repentance. فَعَتَرَفُوا بِذَنْبِهِمْ فَسُحْقًا لِأَصْحَابِ السَّعِيرِ سُحْقًا It's from the Arabic language. It's a word that is used to uh, talk about how disgusting something is. It's even worse than saying, just get away from me. It's it's like an even more exaggerated form of saying, just get away. Just, just That's gross. Leave me alone. Get away. Get it away from me. Suhqan. Not only that, but then it's... in the root of the word, the linguist, they, in the lexicons, it mentions that it basically means something that is... It's used for something that is just devoid of any type of good, any type of blessing. And then, Suhqan. If you hear that an at the end of it, this is maf'ul mutlaq, grammatically speaking. If you know what that means, you know what it means. If you don't, it's very easy to understand. This is the Arabic, classical Arabic equivalent of an exclamation point. Suhqan. It's like suhqan is just the exclamation point. The disgust is supposed to be expressed in the voice. Fasuhqan li ashab al-sa'id. 
for those people who are now the companions, the inhabitants of that blazing, flaming fire of hell. So it's just completely just saying that how disgusting and pathetic these people are that they ended up here when they had every choice, every opportunity and every chance in the world to make a different choice. And this admission of guilt that is being talked about, this will, won't help them at this point at all. رَبَّنَا بَصَرْنَا وَسَمِعَنَا فَرْجِعَنَا نَعْمَلْ صَالِحًا نَمُقِنُونَ Surah Tusajjah and countless places in the Qur'an talk about this. Oh our Lord, now we've seen, now we've heard. Return us back. We will do نَعْمَلْ صَالِحًا We'll do one thing that's good. إِنَّا مُقِنُونَ We most definitely believe now, but they won't be afforded that opportunity. Here and now, like the hadith of the Prophet tells us, مَا لَمْ يُغَرْغَرْ As long as a person's soul hasn't left and exited his body, then he has that opportunity to recognize and realize now and repent and change his or her ways and make things better. And that is basically where we'll continue on from next week. The next ayah talks about making that right choice. يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ And inshallah we'll talk about that when we get there. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that's been said and heard. Subhanallahu bihamdihi, subhanakallahu bihamdik. Nashhadu wa la ilaha illa anta nasaghfirka wa natubu ilayk.